We have a very special guest today. We're not going to do the usual convening of the pop culture panel where we talk about what Justin Bieber has been up to or the color of Beyonce's hair this week. Instead, we have one guest, but what a guest. Brian Henson joined me. joins me. He is an American puppeteer. You know his work from uh, so many things. I'm excited to talk a little bit later on, and I won't geek out about this too much, but we have to talk about Labyrinth a little bit later on. We'll get okay. there. We'll All get right. there a little bit later on. Uh, but you've directed the Muppet Christmas Carol, uh, Muppet Treasure Island. I mean, it goes on and on. The, the Muppets from Space. Uh, it, it was, uh, it's such an incredible career. Your father, of course, was Jim Henson. And you have a new movie coming out this weekend called The Happy Time Murders, which is something a little different than the Muppet Christmas Carol. And we'll tell people right. why in just a little while. <laughs> okay. But, uh, you know... I was such a, a fan of your dad's that I just have to go back just a little bit, if I if I may, and and just talk about what it must have been like with Jim and Jane Henson growing up. Were you surrounded? By, were you born with a puppet on your hand? Were you surrounded by them all the time? Well, not really. We were sort of um, a mixture of a very normal family and a weird circus like right. family. <laughs> but my dad, it, for him, it was always television. Yeah. It wasn't the puppets that came first. When he was in school, he wa he wanted to be in television, and it just it he basically responded to um, an an advertisement, an audition to do puppetry comedic spots for for television down in Washington D.C. And it was the TV part that was what right. was intriguing to him. And he at that time he kind of wanted to be a production designer. That was where he thought he was mm -hmm. going. So. He started just doing these little puppetry pieces, but uh, but it was the television part that was so important to him. That that's what really excited him. So he always knew it was going to be television. So it wasn't that he was building puppets in the house and yeah. stuff like that. He always had a, a workshop where he built the puppets in New York City, and he would shoot in New York City. And we'd live outside the city in Greenwich, Connecticut, and then in Bedford, New York, and. So the work wouldn't come home very much. Right. We would go there often. I spent many weekends in the workshop playing with puppet eyeballs and stuff <laughs> like that. And there was a lot of, for, for, I have four siblings, and we all spent a lot of time on the shooting floors and stuff like that. And, and the workshop itself was always crazy. I mean, uh, his puppet workshop is probably what people would imagine the home was. And in the <laughs> shop, it really was, he had... Um, Don Celine was his oldest friend and used to be the head builder building the early uh, Muppet characters. And Don used to have a collection of gerbils. There were just gerbils all over the place. <laughs> and he would put, he would sling these slinkies all around the, the ceiling and you'd go in and these gerbils would be bouncing around <laughs> all around the workshop while Don was was building puppets and 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 then the, the the gerbils would try to get over his head they loved him and they would dangle from the and they'd try to get the slinky bouncing so that they could get off on his head and all the while he'd ignore them and he'd be building puppets and then Don also liked to blow up rockets on the weekends i remember he would film on 16 millimeter he would build model rockets way before people were building doing yeah, yeah. model rockets he'd build these big glorious model rockets and then put a half a stick of dynamite in them <laughs> And then film it, and he'd shoot the rockets up and blow them up, and <laughs> so that whole that whole thing in the early Muppet days, every the pieces would always end with something blowing up. That's right, that yeah, was yeah. that was really Don Celine. So 
there was that energy in the workshop for sure. But at home, we were, you know, a suburban family. Yeah. And like I said, I have four siblings and we were going to public school and, and doing all the living on two acres and our <laughs> house and the neighborhood. Did the last name Henson cause a stir when Sesame Street came out? I'm of the first generation, I think, that would have watched Sesame Street, and it was life-altering. It, it felt so different than anything that had come before. Everybody loved Bert and Ernie. Everybody loved Snuffleupagus. Everybody loved Big Bird, you know? And, and, and the last name, your last name, Henson, is so closely associated with that. Did people make the connection when you were in school? No, not initially. Um... Because I guess I was six when The Muppet Show came mm-hmm. out. So I w- sorry, when Sesame Street came yeah. out. And the show itself became really famous. Yeah. And my dad was sort of famous as Jim Henson and the Muppets. And he'd been on Ed Sullivan many times. Saturday he was Live? He was, well, well, no, that came later. Is, that, that came, came later. later. Yeah, right. But he was a variety. The Muppets were a variety act and, and popular. And, and then Sesame Street came out. And... It took, I think it was like sort of second or third grade before I remember then my friends figuring out who my dad was and and then me realizing, oh, I guess my dad is famous. <laughs> but it wasn't until the first American Express card commercial, they did that whole campaign. Yep. I can't remember how the catchphrase goes. It was something like, you don't know me, but you know of me or something, yeah, something like, like that. I remember that. Yeah, and it was yeah, for yeah. people that were famous, but people didn't know their faces. Right, right. And and he did the first one of those commercials, which and he did several versions of it with the Muppets. And American Express played them everywhere. So suddenly, what happened was my dad went from there is this guy named Jim Henson and the Muppets, and they're really famous, but nobody ever knew what he looked like. They didn't know him to overnight. He was suddenly stopped on the street. We couldn't walk anywhere down in, in New York. And and that's probably when it became unusual to me. And, and it used to make me laugh because my dad was such a in-the-moment real person. Right. He never really considered celebrity that much. Yeah. And I do remember once we were in Aspen skiing and the bus, the ski bus goes by and the driver hangs his head out and goes, hey, Jim, <laughs> hey, Jim. And the, my dad waves back, hi. And he goes by and he goes, how do we know that guy? Yeah. And I said, dad, we don't know that guy. <laughs> I'm speaking with Brian Henson. Uh, the film, The Happy Time Murders, comes out this weekend. He's the director of that film. We're going to talk all about that. Uh, before we do, though, we found one of the Amex commercials. Oh, did you? Yeah. Let's have a listen. Now you remember. You know me. To get any recognition at all, I either have to travel with my Muppets yeah. Or with this, the American Express card. Don't leave home without it. <laughs> there it is. How does it feel to hear his voice like that? Uh, well, what do you mean? How does well, it I don't, feel? I don't know. He's my I, dad. He's your dad. I know. I know. Does it bring back a flood of memories? I just, I, I just wonder because oh. Oh, most well, of us don't have an archive of our parents and and things that is so omnipresent. You know. Oh, I yeah. My dad is always in my life. Yeah. I, but what I guess the first thing that jumps out at me is that's him in his performer mode. Right. 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 So he's talking a little too fast <laughs> and a little too loud. 
and and it used to always make it made me laugh that he never really did figure out how to beat that thing. Like right. he went, <laughs> he wanted the puppet. He wanted the camera pointed at the puppet at right. the end of his hand, and right. and he had to go in front of camera a lot himself. And when he would, he would become strangely uncomfortable in a very endearing way that yeah. I think everybody. I, it's interesting. Richard Branson is another one, and I think of them as they were, and they were friends. And whenever I watch Richard Branson trying to perform for the camera for their whatever their Virgin Atlantic yeah, commercials yeah. or something like that, I'm like, I I'm, I'm endeared to him in exactly the same way because he's <laughs> turning on his I'm a performer mode, talking which, a little bit too fast, yeah, a little well, too fast, a little too just, loud. Your, your dad just let the puppets do the talking. No, I that's guess, right. right. <laughs> Give him a puppet, and he's great. When did you realize? that you were going to follow in the family business? Um, it was probably not long after I did The Great Muppet Caper. Mm -hmm. um, I had always been interested in special effects and the radio control puppets and things like that. Just as a kid, I would, I would make you know, a little talking potato or something <laughs> that had a trigger that worked the mouth with strings and eyes yeah, yeah. that moved and stuff like that. So... As a kid, I'd, I'd always sort of, we all were making puppets in the workshop at, at the Muppet Show and stuff like that. And every now and then, one of the puppeteers would use our puppets and we'd be like, oh, that's great. Um, but it was the Great Muppet Caper where my dad said, can you figure out this marionette sequence where the bicycles are riding through Battersea Park? It's Miss Piggy and Kermit riding. And... I remember those sequences. And I thought, yeah. they're puppets! Yeah. And, but and, you can see them pedaling. Yes. And, and my dad... Every time I got it to a certain point, he would push the goalpost further forward and further forward, which was kind of fun. And he was doing it kind of deliberately to me. And but we were really enjoying because at first it was, oh, the bicycles are riding down a path and from a moving driving crane. So I was 30 feet over the puppets and working them with these strings and. And then once we got it working, and what it took me a long time to figure out, oh, it's they're not marionettes. If I try to do this as marionettes, it's never going to work. What I have to do is actually ride the bicycle from up here. So then I started showing off, and I said to him, Dad, I figured it out. I have to ride the bicycle. If I hold the weight up with the strings, it, the illusion is totally blown because right. the bicycle starts to lean. So I said, but I figured out how I can actually ride the bike from up here. And then I started doing, you know, <laughs> zigzags and all of this stuff. And he was like, okay, good. I want you to do a figure eight with the two characters. And I said, figure eight? How are we going to do that? <laughs> and so he just kept pushing it further out. And and I really enjoyed it. And, it, you know, the sequence, it was, I was on a summer break from, yeah. I was 17. I was summer break from school. And, um. And it was after that that I so enjoyed working with him. And then it, uh, with him, there was always another lesson involved, too. So I, I remember after finishing it, he came at, we were at home and he said, oh, by the way, here's your contract for the movie because you did all that work. And I said, oh, right, okay. And, and I look at it and it says, for the, for the sum of $1, your services. <laughs> I said, wow, Dad, you're paying me a dollar? And he said, he said, yeah, when you pay for your own house and you get the job yourself, then you'll get paid. <laughs> That's an incredible story. I'm speaking with, with Brian Henson. He is the director of The Happy Time Murders. It's in theaters this weekend, stars Melissa McCarthy. And we'll, we'll get to this in the next segment. 
but it's sort of set in a Who Framed Roger Rabbit kind of world where where humans and and in that case it was cartoon characters. In this case, it's puppet characters coexist, and there are murders happening. And Melissa McCarthy and one of her detective puppet friends have to get to the bottom of it. It's the Happy Time Murders. We'll talk all about that with my guest Brian Henson when we come back. Stay with us. Fifty cents. I'll suck your. D- <laughs> Well, it's a great price. It almost makes me wish I had a d- for you to suck. Oh, I take that as a yes. You two are the most decorated offices in this department. What do you say? Looks like a robbery gone wrong to me. This wasn't a robbery. This was a hit. What the? Someone out there <gasps> is killing puppets. Hey, handsome. You looking for some rotten cotton? I'm a woman. That's okay. That's even better. Got a good time for you. That's a little bit of audio from The Happy Time Murders. It's in theaters right now. In studio right now with me is Brian Henson, the director of this film. Now, we've just talked about your history with The Muppets. Your father, Jim Henson, of course, created that. This is a little different thing. And you've made a lot of movies. You've made a lot of other puppet films, Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island. It goes on and on. But you haven't... Uh, directed anything like this no. quite before. So tell me yeah. a little bit about the genesis of this. Well, it's um It's an R rated puppet. It's film. a very yeah. it's and it's very R rated. And part of why I, I guess my instincts were probably more towards a PG thirteen mm-hmm. sort of thing, but I didn't want the audience to confuse this with the Muppets. I didn't want parents thinking they could take a young child to this movie. Right. Uh, but I knew that I wanted to do something that was naughtier uh, than the than where the Muppets can go. And so I went very far. <laughs> I, made, I made a basically a very hard R-rated movie so that the studio would be forced to market it really exclusively for adults. And the studio uh, agreed with that. But the, where it started from was we had, at one point, the family, we had sold the Jim Henson Company, and then we bought the company back again two or three years later. It was it was an odd time. It mm-hmm. was a very... Com- the market had gotten weird, so none of the TV channels would buy our programming because they said we were too big. We were a competitor. And so we were forced to either buy television channels around the country and around the world or to sell the company. So we decided to sell the company, and then we sold to a company EMTV that was turned out to be really not a very smart company so we had the opportunity to buy the company back again so we only didn't own the company for probably 2 years right. two and a half years and bought the company back and then when we did that i started looking at what we had been doing with puppets and not the not the children's end because we do a lot of children's television and 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 that was all quite sound but in the in the more prime timey, cutting more cutting edge tone of 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 entertainment, we had gotten a little stale, and I'd been turning to uh, writers to try to figure out a punchier way, a, a, a new type of com- a com- comedic voice for puppets, and that wasn't working. So my wife actually had the idea. I'm married to Mia Sarah's my wife, and she she had the idea of working with um, improv comedians, like in the in the vein of the Groundlings. And right. she was talking about, well, look at all these comedic voices that come out of out of that that engine, um, and that that um, 
discipline. And she introduced me to Patrick Bristow, who's a a famous improviser and improvising director and coach. And he came in and, and looked at what we were doing and said, well, but you puppeteers, you don't look at each other. And I said, no, we don't ever look at each other. We're looking at the screen at what the camera sees. And right. he says, well, I don't think you can improvise then. Because, Without because, seeing the look or the right? you know, the expressions of the other people. Right, because yeah. he said, like, if as actors, if we were to close our eyes, we couldn't improvise. Yeah, yeah. I said, well, you know what, let's, let's try it. Because he said, because with, as actors, we're, we're seeing in each other's eyes, and we know what is going to come out of their mouths just before they do it. Right. And uh, we can't really do that with puppets. And I said, but we tried it anyway. I said, you'd be surprised how much a puppeteer can read of the other performer, even though all they can see is their puppet. Right. And it worked extremely well. We were doing it just in a workshop setting. It was like, oh, wow, this is really working. We're finding a whole new comedy. Because the Muppets really came out of the 70s. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, And it still has its roots so strongly. in, And it needs to. If it suddenly becomes a totally contemporary energy. It's going to not be the Muppets anymore. So we were looking for something new. And he said, let's let's put it in front of an audience with our little workshop that we were were training two nights a week or something like that. And we brought in an audience at our studio. And it was very funny. And we let the audience start making suggestions as to what we were doing. And it was getting pretty darn blue. Like a real... Improv, improv show, show yeah. and, but it was getting pretty darn blue, <laughs> more blue than than a regular improv, because yeah. suddenly the audience can suggest that puppets do something that they wouldn't suggest that people do, right. and it was hilarious and very rude, but but really delightfully <laughs> hilarious is what it turned out to be, and there was somebody in that audience, which was just meant to be families and friends who was, they were the booking producers for the Aspen Comedy Festival and came up afterwards and said, oh, can you bring your show to the Aspen Comedy Festival? And I said, it isn't a show. (laughs) It's just a bunch of puppeteers just experimenting. And I said, well, bring whatever you just did to Aspen. So we did. And it was, we did the Aspen Comedy Festival with it called... Uh, the Jim Henson Company's Experimental Improv Puppet <laughs> Show or something like that. It didn't even have a title. And we put it up and, and did a few shows there. And then there was somebody booking the Edinburgh Fringe. And so they invited us to the Edinburgh Fringe. So then I, I did create a title. Then it became Puppet Up. And that's a theater show that we do. And we've been here in Toronto a couple times with it. And that has – we keep doing that show. We We only do it – a few weeks a year, we'll right. send the, a troop out a few few weeks a year, but it keeps letting us get in touch with the audience and getting immediate feedback into what they want to see puppets do right. that will make them laugh. And it's an audience that's grown up with the Muppets, too. They they feel like they know them, they understand them, and maybe they feel, eh, they're the Muppets are now grown up, too. We can... We can right. Push the envelope a bit. Right. and But we do say to the audience, these are the miscreants. That's what we call them. These <laughs> okay. are the Henson miscreant puppets. And specifically, the miscreants in, in our company is about 150 puppets that we have that none of them have names that are, I mean, they kind of do because we call them names. Right. But because they're part of an improv show, they might have a completely different personality and a completely different name. They may be male one time and then right. female in the next show. Um so so these are the miscreants, and we've been doing this show, and it, it always is very blue, where people like to see us bring puppets. And honestly, we find it delightful to do. So then I set out to find a scripted, some scripted piece, and now I'm going back 10 years where 
um, 10 or 11 years ago, Todd and, Berger. And we'll pause right oh, okay. there and we'll come back on the other side and we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll make the leap. <laughs> from from improv, blue improv, puppet comedy into the Happy Time Murders. It's in theaters right now, and I'm speaking with its director, Brian Henson. Stay with us. Brian Henson is my guest in studio. His film, The Happy Time Murders, is in theaters right now. Uh, he, of course, is Jim Henson's son. You know his his other films, like The Muppet Christmas Carol, Muppet Treasure Island. This is a much different film. And we were talking about the genesis of it, and it kind of came out of this idea of doing improv comedy with Muppets. You want it with puppets. You wanted to try and do something a little different, find a different voice. And then that was successful, and dot, yep. dot, dot. We end up 10 years ago with you having the idea of... Right, well then... And, <laughs> That's and, a little catch-up if you've yeah, just tuned in. Perfect. So Todd Berger had written on spec, it was really a... a project that he he wanted to do and and uh, I saw it probably 12 years ago and said I'm it's not really what I'm looking for and then a year later or a year and a half later it was what I was looking for so I, I brought him back in we did probably 15 drafts right. you, you could barely recognize that original script but it was always called happy time murders and it always started blue puppet <laughs> private detective right. alcoholic really angry character in the lead. And so, yeah, we did a lot of rewrites. And then I think we were pretty much ready to make it probably five or six years ago. And it just took several styles. I, several, I had two opportunities to make the movie, but with, they just didn't have enough money. Mm -hmm. And I, and I was like, you know, puppets are really, it's interesting. People think, Oh, puppet movie, that's probably easier to make than a live action film. It's so exactly the opposite. <laughs> it's like, you have to be able to pull up the floors where the puppets are. And it's, it's every shot's a special effect. So they are expensive to make. And then STX, Adam Fogelson at, at STX, he knew my live show puppet up mm -hmm. and he read the script and, and he loved it. And then we took a long time to find that right actor to put with Phil Phillips, the lead um, puppet character. And th really, we took a long time, years. <laughs> we took a, three years. And, and what was the thing that was holding that process up? Because you have to have someone unique who can stand out against you know, these puppet characters. Uh, you have to have someone who is uh, willing to share the stage with them, all that stuff. Right. I is that it? Was it just difficult to find someone that fit that mold? Yeah, I mean, it's not a... I won't mention names yeah. of people we were looking at, but it's who would be right to be in an R-rated comedy mm -hmm. with puppets? Um, who would have that right energy? And it was written for a male, actor and then melissa read it about a year and a half ago this is melissa McCarthy. melissa mccarthy she read it and she loved it and she didn't want to do hardly anything to the character to change it she said no i'm gonna play it pretty much like a man <laughs> because i think that'll be funnier right. that, that their relationship is as two guys that kind of hate each other and then kind of like they used to really 
love each other, but in a platonic way as partners, and now they hate each other and they're going to get back together. And she was like, no, 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 I don't want to feminize the character at all. I think that's really funny. And and you heard in the trailer, we we make jokes yeah, that yeah. in the movie, she, you know, people mistake her for a man, <laughs> and the puppets particularly, and and that's part of uh, part of the fun. But once she came on board, then that pretty much put us in pre-production a year and a half ago. And what was the reaction when you started, when word started getting out, oh, this is going to be a Muppet film or a film with puppets in our yeah. Because there haven't been that many of them. We were talking before the mics were turned on. Meet the Feebles, I can think of, and I can think of Team America uh, by the South Park guys. And I think the list stops there until right now. Well, people mention Sausage Party and, uh, maybe. and but those Ted are in- and... Ted. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, but it but yes, we are not a film that the modelers can model, which right. is what makes it so hard to make movies in Hollywood these days because it's really a bunch of modelers. Mm-hmm. They take what is the concept of the movie, what's the content, what are the level of casting and they'll tell you this is what it will earn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's an algorithm, right? Yeah. Almost. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and if you have a project that that won't feed into that algorithm, then the only way you'll ever get financed is by some studio just taking a risk yep. and just going, my gut says this can work. And Adam Fogelson at STX did that. He said, my gut says that, that, that this will this will work. And, that, and that's what made it possible for us to make this. And when people hear that I'm doing this, it, it's interesting. I'm not too too worried but i'm maybe i should be it might be the it might be the end of my career i don't know um we when we did the puppet up show that was when i was really nervous when i that was the first time that i was doing blue material with puppets and i was very concerned and every critic who saw it loved it um nobody accidentally brought their children uh and i realized as long as you're clear and that people really wanted they actually embraced and wanted a puppet production from our company that was exclusively for adults, mm-hmm. where the kids weren't allowed. There was really, there was really, um, they really looked forward to that. And the Puppet Up show was reviewed extremely well by by everyone, and and people would say it really feels like it's part of it. It is part of the Jim Henson legacy. It's just in this is the adult side, the the uncensored. Muppets, if you like, but these are not Muppets. These are the miscreant puppets, and it comes out under the label of Henson Alternative, not under the Jim Henson Company label. Henson Alternative is a label we use now for programming that is not appropriate for children. Like the Happy Time Murders in theaters this weekend. My guest in studio is Brian Henson, uh, director of the film, and you have said here, and I thought this was really interesting. When you're talking about the the Muppets in the larger sense, and again, these are the miscreant puppets, not the Muppets, <laughs> but they look like Muppets, so yes. I think, you know, yeah. uh, and you're behind it, so that, you know, you can see where people get that. But you said in another interview, actually, all of our humor comes out of a very blue place, a very sort of naughty, dirty humor place. And you said that one of your favorite parts early on was watching your dad working, uh, about watching your dad working was the naughtiness that was just so deliciously funny. Yes, and and that's true. And people who went and watched the the Muppets shooting in those days will know what what they were saying, what they were doing after <laughs> after the cameras stopped rolling was some of the most hilarious stuff. And actually, what informed the characters. I mean, it's it's also why 
I mean, Kermit's got clearly a very naughty side to him, and you see glimpses of it. It's seldom written. It's there in the performance, and 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 if the cameras weren't rolling, he could go a little bit further into that. <laughs> and and there is, and my dad was always. Sesame Street was a very unusual thing for him to do. He was right. doing Ed Sullivan. He was doing, um, and and then Sesame Street came along, and and he took he took a pretty adult sensibility, but very safe for children. Mm-hmm. Ernie and Bert. I mean, it was all all of them worked on an adult level, even though it was for this kid show. And Sesame Street was a huge, huge hit. But then my dad wanted to make the Muppet Show, and nobody would let him. Because they just said, no, Muppets are for children. They're right. for little children. And he did two pilots. He did um, a, a Valentine special with the Muppets with Mia Farrow that was really a pilot for the Muppet Show. All three networks passed. And then, and said, but no, puppets and Muppets yeah. are for children. And then he did another one that he called Sex and Violence with the Puppets because he was Sex and Violence with the Muppets because he wanted to say, no, 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 Muppets aren't just for little kids. He did that. All three networks passed again. So now he's so frustrated. My dad would never give up Mm -hmm. on something. He was so frustrated that then he signed on to the first season of Saturday Night Live, which at the time was highly controversial. This was the most risque adult TV show ever to be on air. George and, Carlin is hosting the first one. Right. Andy Kaufman was on that yep. first year. The yep. Not Ready for, like, just the name. The right. Not Ready for Primetime Player right. should have told you everything you need to know. Right. right. It was supposed to, you know, it was risque. It yeah. was adult. And my dad went right in there because he considered himself an, an adult entertainer. And, and Sesame Street was the unusual thing for him. And, and it was halfway through that first season of Saturday Night Live that Lou Grade in England called him and said, I've seen your two pilots. Your, the Muppet Show will be a huge hit. Just bring your people to England and you can make, and I'll green light a series of season one. And that's what my dad did. And that's how the Muppet Show happened. And mm-hmm. then, like Michael Eisner, who then ended up at Disney yeah. and was trying to buy the company with my dad before my dad died. But Michael Eisner, who was programming CBS, he was like, he he had to say, I, I passed on the Muppet Show twice and then Lou Grade sold it back to all of our stations <laughs> and they all made a fortune at 7.30 right before we make any money. <laughs> I love that. My guest in studio is Brian Henson. The film is The Happy Time Murders. It's in theaters right now. When we come back... I have to spend a few minutes talking about Labyrinth with you. Stay with us. I'm coming, Sarah. Well, if it isn't you. And uh, where are you going? Uh, uh, Well, the little lady gave me the slip, but uh, I just hears her now. So uh, I was about to lead her back to the beginning, like you told me. (laughs) I see. For one moment, I thought you were running to help her. But uh, no. Not after my warnings. That would be stupid. Oh, you bet it would. Me, help her. After your warnings. That is some (laughs) audio from, uh, it seems like it's everybody's favorite movie, Labyrinth. Uh, I'm in conversation with Brian Henson. Uh, You were the voice of Hoggle in that film. That's the voice we were just hearing. Of course, you're talking to David Bowie in this film. And regular listeners of this show will know that I am the world's biggest David Bowie fan. So uh, we have to talk about that. But we, we've been in conversation about The Happy Time Murders. That's your film that's in theaters right now. Mm-hmm. 
R-rated comedy starring puppets and Melissa McCarthy. Uh, it sounds fantastic. Uh, I wish you continued success with that film. But let's talk about Labyrinth for okay. a few minutes, if, All right. if, if you don't mind. You were in your early 20s when this film was was happening. Yes. This is, it must have been huge. It was the biggest production you had worked on to date, I think, at that point, right? Um. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yes, for sure. And particularly the puppet tree demands. Yeah. And so you're not inside the puppet? No. Sherry Weiser. Yeah. Who's a little person. Yeah. She, she was inside. And then there was three puppeteers on the outside who worked the face remote control it was it, there were like 35 motors in that head and and i was the lead performer performing the character and voicing the character and are you just off stage voicing it while yeah. it's happening yes wow yeah performing it, just next to the camera all three of us would would be and it was took two of us to work the mouth um oh there was four puppeteers i've got it wrong two of us to work the mouth um, and then one working the eyebrows and expressions and one working the eyes, just specifically the blinking and, and the pupils. Those were the days where that, later we developed systems so we didn't have to do it with four people. But in some ways I missed those old days when it took an army of us to work one character because it was really hard but well, hard, fun. And, but collaborative too and yeah, imagine uh, exciting and, yeah. you know, maybe a few takes. He blinked too. One yes. eye blinked and the other yeah. one didn't or right. something. Yeah. But yeah, one brow went down and the other one went up. That doesn't work. <laughs> That's not going to work. Yeah. And tell me about working with David Bowie. This was something different for him. He was, at that point, one of the biggest rock stars in the world. Yes. I think Modern Love had just yes. come out and all that. And so this was kind of a, a sidestep for him, something a little different. I think, yeah, and I I have heard people say that my dad was considering Sting. I know that he was actively considering Michael Jackson and David Bowie, and and by the time he was sort of asking my feelings, I was at University of Colorado for a very brief period mm -hmm. and then went to do a movie. Um, but David Bowie was huge, and so was Michael Jackson. But I was voting in favor of David Bowie. In the end, I think that my dad did the right thing because David likes he, – he inherently likes to kind of make fun of himself, right. which I think was a really good thing. So the way he played Jareth was as if Jareth was a spoiled rock and roll star. Right, right. You know, <laughs> an, an arrogant, narcissistic rock and roll star. And David was enjoying doing that because he, he was at the top of his fame. So he was kind of making fun of himself, and I think that that – was was fun for him and working with david was was fantastic he was such a he and my dad both shared being crazy workaholics mm -hmm. they just work all the time but they're artists you know artists first but they can't stop and and i think that was something that really connected them but it's interesting for david doing labyrinth was like a vacation he was like this is so fantastic i get to do nothing but this one thing <laughs> for like two months so for him it was like he couldn't stop talking and he 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 really enjoyed the process and the thing about british film crews is they're many of them are east end boys you know that right. they're like the toughest of the street kids and and then they go into the film industry and david is an east end boy too yeah. you know he's a tough little east ender and he would go to the pub because in those days every studio had a pub right there in the studio and you know we'd rap and and he'd go and have and have a pint of lager with the crew every, pretty much every day, David yeah, yeah. would. And, and you could see him just sort of relax. You could see that whole David Bowie thing would just relax. And he'd just be able to wander around a pub and just be 
the East End boy that he was, you know. Anyway, it was fun. A couple of weeks ago, I had a guy named Dennis O'Regan in here, and he was the official photographer for the Let's Dance Tour, the Serious Moonlight Tour. And he has a couple of remarkable photographs that were taken in the same restaurant, one of which is David Bowie uh, sitting, having a cigarette, laughing at a joke or something, and it is unguarded and just kind of a wonderful picture of this guy having a good time. And then... Uh, you can tell it's the same setup thing uh, probably two minutes later. He's wearing a hat and he's being David Bowie because someone has come in mm. that he didn't know and all of a sudden he has to be David Bowie again. <laughs> yeah. And you see the remarkable difference between the on stage and the off stage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that film has stayed in people's minds, memories for, it's 31 years, is it 31 years now? Probably. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Why? Why do you think that film struck a chord with people in such a way? Well, it's timeless. Um, it's daring in that it's daring to explore some of those aspects of, mm -hmm. of a young girl coming of age and, and dealing with attraction, feeling attraction towards an older man, an older man taking advantage of that attraction, the ultimate... That the older, and he's not old, he's yeah. 40. Um, and then ultimately him saying, you know, you can have, have anything you want as long as you'll say you're mine. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, basically yeah. giving her control of him and and her, you know, rejecting that and realizing this. Is, but anyway, it was, it was and, and it's fun. He did Dark Crystal. Which was quite so somber, uh, more dramatic, and had no human characters in it. So I think what had happened was he did Dark Crystal, and then people said, "Well, what? What about bringing a little bit of the Muppety sort of energy to this fantasy uh, world creation that you're doing?" And that's when he sort of did a little bit of, "Okay, we'll have a guest star that'll be like right. David Bowie, and we'll have music, and we'll have songs." And we'll play with a little more humor, but also be telling a dramatic story underneath. It was almost like he was sort of trying to push, put everything into that one project. Right. Like take all of his fantasy and darker things, but put it together with, with the light of the Muppets and all. And, and try to put it all into this one weird and wonderful soup. That is the bog of eternal stench, which really was the bog of eternal stench. Really? Well, in those days, in those days, you had to shoot with a lot of light. Film speed was like fifty ASA. You had to have a lot of light, and, and the studios would get really hot. And that that bog did it. Really did have a stench. <laughs> I'm speaking with Brian Henson. Uh, the film is called The Happy Time Murders. It's in theaters right now. Stars Melissa McCarthy and and the miscreant. Puppets. Yes. The Muppets that you don't see on The Muppet Show. <laughs> it's an R-rated film. Be clear, this movie is not meant for kids. Uh, it's meant for, I guess, the kids that grew up with The Muppets and are now, you know. Yeah, it's a guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is it about The Muppets? Like, when I was a kid, I had uh, my Bert and Ernie puppets, and I, 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 I tried to create 
uh, a little Muppet theater or a puppet theater for myself called the Aquarius Theater. I don't know why, but that's what I tried to do. And uh, it was short-lived. It was a short-lived project when I was about eight. Uh, but uh, but I was really captivated by them. And and I, I wonder about it now because there's something that's kind of magical about it. They can say and do things that, that people don't, I, I, I guess. But as I told you earlier, I hosted these press conferences with Miss Piggy and with Kermit a number of years ago. And with Miss Piggy in particular, looking in her eyes and asking questions, I know it kind of sounds silly if you've never done it, but I kind of felt that there was a connection. I felt like I was talking to a real person. Why? What? What is it with these puppets that have struck a chord with people? Well, it's in, it's interesting that you say you feel like you're talking to a real person because I'm going to actually say I think it's it's close to the opposite. I mm. think is actually what's going on, and the, and the reason why puppets work so well, and people say, well, but they're CGI now. It's like no, it's completely different. the uh, The thing about puppets is they are they should be clearly inanimate yep. so that you're everything your your brain tells you that thing is not alive it cannot be alive and and that's why with the miscreant puppets and the muppets and stuff like that they're not skin it's not like dark crystal and labyrinth where right. that is more of an illusion of life um there's at the heart of it puppets what's delightful about them is you're breathing a human personality into something that you know absolutely, absolutely is not alive. And there's something delightful about that. There's something in our DNA that makes us respond to that. And, and that's why puppetry is such an old art mm-hmm. form. It probably goes all the way back to cavemen, bringing to life a rock and right, saying, right. oh, if you, if you don't eat your dinner, dinner, then Mr. Rock is going to break your face. <laughs> you know, that there's something about bringing to life an inanimate object that's inherently delightful. And it also, it also, the audience has no baggage when they're watching puppets, so they're very open to them. They, an ad, a, a 50-year-old can watches a puppet the same way that an 8-year-old watches a puppet, which you can't do with actors. Because if an actor walks on camera or walks on stage, an adult audience is making all sorts of assumptions about them because of their skin color, their hairstyle, their hair color, the clothes they're wearing, their, their accent, the way they walk, how they're holding themselves. With a puppet, the audience can't do any of that. And I call it like the audience baggage. There is no audience baggage with a puppet. So the puppet can then do anything and surprise the audience in such a way that they're not taking it personally. So you can almost do what would be considered, quote unquote, offensive with puppets, but that you couldn't do with with actors. Mm Because if you did it with actors, it would be offensive. But you do it with puppets... And it's kind of delightfully naughty instead. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Hudson, thank you so much for this time. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. The film is called The Happy Time Murders. It's in theaters right now. Go see it. Uh, My thanks to you for listening. My thanks to Andre on the board. And we'll talk to you again next week.